0: First things first, I'm not Scottish. Oh, really? Yes, really. Seems to be every time I come here I have to clarify that, but you know, we'll just say it one more time. Irish, not Scottish. And I'm glad I'm not Scottish. Why do I say that? Well, in all of Scripture, There's an instrument mentioned, and excuse me for hobbling about, but I've busted my ankle, so I'm the one legged preacher today. If you hear an odd own or groan, it's okay, I'll be fine. But in all of Scripture, you'll see that the national instrument for Scotland is mentioned in Daniel chapter 3. Now, is it for the good side or the bad side? I rest my case, I'm not Scottish. We do wear those silly skirts, but it's only for special occasions, not every day, like some of them do. I am Merv, by the way, in case you don't know. The other guy that comes called Mark, he's Scottish. Next time you see him, give him a hard time. But I bring greetings to you from IBC, Emmanuel Baptist Church. It is, again, a great privilege to be with you, even though you don't know where I'm from. I still love you all. (laughs) I still care for you all. It's funny, even these past couple of weeks, how brothers in this church like to even slag off, which is tease some of Ireland's produce, that black substance, that black liquid with the white top. People were saying bad things against it, and I happened to stand up for it. He's laughing right now, and there's one other guy down there. He's laughing too. But it just shows that even through that, we have a love, we have a unity, we have a bond through the Lord Jesus Christ. When I come in here, and it doesn't irk me sometimes, but it did this morning, because I, from last time coming to now, I've had a birthday and I've gotten older. And even busting my ankle, I'm like, wow, I'm getting old. But someone called me Mr. Merv. An adult called me Mr. Merv. It's not a good thing to be called when you're 36, but it's okay. We'll take it on the chin. Brother, thank you for reading Daniel 3. You read it well. You pronounced everything correctly, and you even mentioned that awful bagpipe that people often don't like the noise of. But this morning, and I will try to be as brief as I can so you can enjoy your lunch, but we are in Daniel chapter 3. Before we get there, let's come and pray to God that he would help us as we open up his word. Let's pray to him. Our loving Heavenly Father, as we come before your presence now in the attitude of prayer, and as we open up your Word and to learn and to grow from it, we do thank you for the Scriptures that you and your kindness have given us. We do thank you for that infallible Word that has come from you that we can this morning look at and read and even laugh about and joke about, but in all seriousness that we need to see that you're a God who was faithful from the very beginning, and you're a God who is going to be faithful to the very end. That has nothing to do with us. We are just your servants. It's all to do with you. And so this morning, as we've given you praise in our songs, as we've given you praise in our prayers, help us now that we can give you praise from expounding your holy word. Help the man who will speak, take away any nerves, help us to be faithful to the word, help us to be encouraging where we need to be, help us perhaps to rebuke where rebuke needs to be given. But ultimately, dear Lord, may your name be glorified amongst all that we say and do here today. We do even pray for salvation to come to this place and that those who are outside of your kingdom this morning, dear Lord, would indeed bow the knee before you, the great and eternal God. We do thank you for this time. We do pray now that you would bless it. And we ask all these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. I hope, brother, my sermon aligns with your thoughts. I believe they will, but we'll see. If not, we can still love each other afterwards. That's that's what love does. It covers all sins. If I was to take a poll this morning and ask you, how many of you have heard the story or the message of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? There are many who would put their hand up. Many, many people have heard this story or this lesson. Children learn about it in Sunday school. Preachers preach about it and refer to it very, very often. This story or this lesson, and I hate to call it a story because it's not. These things really happen, people. There was three young men or three older men now who took a stand for their God, who believed in their God above all else. And this morning, I want us to see these things and and believe these things, that these things actually did happen. It's not a story or a fable. This is the true Word of God. And this lesson that this morning should teach us that taking a stand for God in the days that we live in will ultimately benefit us in the long run. Why do I say that? We take a stand for God now, and we live by His truths and we confess our sins to Him. Eternal life is ours. There is no greater thing, there is no more majestic thing than to have and to be called a son of the living God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were indeed young men or young boys when they came along with Daniel and the other Hebrews, and they were captured by that Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar. When these boys arrived in Babylon, the Babylonians try to teach them and learn them and change them and everything. They try to change their culture. They try to change everything about them. These young men possessed Hebrew names. Their names were Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah. And these Hebrew names had religious significance. Each name spoke about God, the God of themselves, the God of Israel. Daniel means God is my judge. Of Course, we know his name was changed to Belshazzar, which means Baal is my judge. Hananai means God is gracious. Okay. Shadrach, which means illuminated by the sun god. Some difference. Mishael's name means who is like God. His name was changed to Meshach, which means who is like Venus. Azariah's name means the Lord is my helper, or Yahweh is my helper. His name was changed to Abandigo, which means the worshipper of Nego. Any few mothers are about to have children or are pregnant. Some good names there. Hint, hint. Azariah, the Lord is my helper. Man, what a name that would be. Merv. it's <laughs> not that much of a name. I hope my parents don't listen to this or I'm in a lot of trouble. Okay? But... In a further effort to make these young men so they've changed their names, remember that they also forced upon them the diet that was given. Daniel 1. These young men were forced to eat the food that was offered to idols. And this, of course, we know would be a forbiddance against the law of God. We know that Daniel spoke to the man and said, Hey, give us a chance. Give us ten days. And we all know we were listening, which I hope you were, that after ten days, these young men were healthier, fitter, more precious looking than all the other men who had the best of food. The Babylonians failed to force the Hebrew captives to abandon the God, their God of their fathers, and to adopt their own lifestyle. And of course, we know in Daniel 1 that Nebuchadnezzar saw this with his own eyes. As time passed, these four Hebrew men were elevated to places of authority. They were given rank and title. It all started when that king had a dream in Daniel 2, if you were here and you listened as well, that he had a dream that he, he nor anyone else in the land could interpret. But Daniel was called. Daniel was called before the king and he interpreted the dream, not because of anything in Daniel. But we remember that Daniel took the matter to God in prayer. And God gave him the interpretation. And then he in turn shared it with King Nebuchadnezzar. And that's when the king was pleased and he elevated the four men to positions of prominence and authority in the kingdom of Babylon. And that brings us right up to Daniel 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even though they're in positions now of authority and of prominence, Find themselves in Daniel 3, facing life and death once more. They could stand for the Lord and face death, or they could deny God and live. These men chose to stand for the Lord. We all know the story well. And because they did, they were indeed thrown into that fiery furnace. In spite of the danger, in spite of the threats, in spite of the wrath of a pagan king, these men held tight to their testimonies above all else. They held tight to their faith and their belief in the one true and living God. You see, in this chapter of Daniel, we will see quite clearly these young men defiled the most powerful man in all of the world rather than displease the creator of the whole world, God. Their example of godliness, their example of faith, should be a shining example to us here this morning of what true faith and what true belief in God can do. This morning, it's an all too familiar passage. It's a passage that we can sit there and we can switch off and think, well, I know the end. These guys didn't. Anytime you read Scripture, don't think of what you think you know. Read it how it is. These three young men did not know what was going to happen. They didn't know that God was going to save them. They didn't know that being thrown in the fire, they'd still be saved. They thought they were going to their death. But these brave men didn't, as it were, go with the flow. They weren't whipped up with the tide and with all those musical instruments and even that horrible bagpipe. And they didn't bow their knee. They stood firm. Are we standing firm? Are we standing firm in that playground at school? Are we standing firm in the workplace, in that work floor, in the schoolroom, in our homes? And so this morning, I want to look at this passage under three Ps. How they were persecuted, how they were protected, and how they were promoted. So if you don't remember anything else, Remember the three Ps. Persecuted, protected, promoted. So, how are they persecuted? What happens when an irresistible force meets an immovable object? And in this case, there are actually three immovable objects. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The context of verse 1 to 22 tells us exactly who this irresistible force is who is on the flip side, it is that king, King Nebuchadnezzar. It's the one who, in the previous passage that we looked at a few months ago, couldn't even sleep because he was afraid of a dream. And now he's took it upon himself to build this huge, obnoxious statue. This thing is 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. Or in our day, it's 90 feet high and 90 feet, 9 feet wide. If you want a visual, has anyone been to London? Good. Know those horrible red buses that I used to build? I can say that with authority because I used to build them. Take those double-decker buses, six off them on top of each other. This thing was huge. It's not this wee tiny dwarf thing. This thing's massive. You see, Nebuchadnezzar wants to make an idol of himself. What a fickle mind this man has. But as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't bend the knee, we also see a trait of Nebuchadnezzar that keeps cropping up. This man's got severe anger issues. In chapter 2, he was ready to rip people limb from limb. Okay? Chapter 3, he's ready to throw them into a fire if they don't bow down to his idol. It's not really a fun guy to be hanging about with. It's not one you want to call your friend. And so in Nebuchadnezzar's anger and in his wrath, he determines that whoever doesn't by the knee is going to be destroyed. And of course, three men stand out in that plane that day like no other. And he orders these men to be bound up and to be cast into that furnace. And it's not only warm. It's now seven times warmer. This thing's hot. It's so hot that the men who threw these three guys in, they die. Now if you stop to think of that, that's unbelievable. The heat that came off that that day was immense. You get anywhere close, and you perish. You see, Nebuchadnezzar was angered by these three men because of these three men's standards of life. You see, Nebuchadnezzar made that idol. He made that statue. And he made it to worship himself and no other. You see, either way, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was not going to bow down to him in the dining hall. They weren't going to bow down to him in Daniel 2 when he had that dream and just whatever. And they most certainly are not going to bow down to him here. You see, their faith in God would not allow them to stoop or bend the knee and worship that pagan king. Their standards and their manner of life made them different from everyone else around them. Their convictions made them stand out. You young people, and I'm not so young anymore, so I can't say include me, but you young people this morning you too will face a time like this. It's not going to be a fiery furnace. I would hope not anyway in these days that we live in. But someone at school or someone at college or wherever you go will perhaps pass you drugs. will perhaps pass you that cigarette and, or they'll maybe invite you to go to the local nightclub or pub as we would call it in Ireland. What are you going to do when that fire is there? What will you do when these times come? Will you bow your knee? Or will you cry to God in your time of need? Will you lock your knees and not give in? You see, everyone who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is expected to have a different standard of living from the world. How do we know this? 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says these, Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. You See, each of us here, if we are Christ, face difficult seasons and struggles in life. Some of us men, and I can speak from experience, working with some of the most perverted men, that I have ever had contact with in the workplace. And these men will start that chat that's rude and crude and very degrading. And they'll know we're standing there and they know that we've got different convictions and what do they do? They make the fire seven times hotter and they try to draw us in. They try to bring us into the conversations knowing all too well that We can't be involved in that, but yet they still try. They make it hotter and hotter and hotter. Brothers, do not bend your knee. Stand firm. Nebuchadnezzar gives these men a second chance. He knows why these men are refusing to bow their knee. And he mocks the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How fickle this man is. It's kind of baffling. In verse 47 of chapter 2, he says these words. Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. And yet only a few short verses later, This man mocks the very God who he said was God of gods and king of kings. Now he's implying that he is more powerful from from the God that they serve. He demands that they must bow the knee. He demands that they must worship him as a God. These men wouldn't buy in public. And most certainly they're not going to buy in private. You see, we as believers should be the same. We should walk in total submission to the very will of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be, as it were, totally sold for him. And totally sold for what he has planned for our lives. He is to have first place in our lives, not second or third or fourth or fifth. Listen to the Lord's very own standards for us in the book of Matthew. He says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Wow. As a parent, and I can speak from experience, all too often, my three little angels, they're not always angels, but my three little angels can get elevated and elevated and elevated and elevated. That it's kind of all you think about. It's all you turn your life to. It's all that you, your week is is revolving around them and what they have to do. There's times you have to stop. You have to refocus. and You have to remember that it's Christ that should focus and make our lives be around him and him alone. You have a family meeting here in two weeks. not right? March 10th, we got the date right. It's the 10th. Okay. Even the visitor knew that. <laughs> and if there's free pizza, hey, I might even show up. Who knows? No, I'm just kidding. But you guys have a church members meeting or as a family meeting, as we like to call them, because you know what? you're all a big family. Be there. Be at it. Attend it. Don't make fickle excuses of, oh, we Johnny's, you know, he's too rambunctious, he'll climb the walls. Who cares? Eric will get someone in to plaster the wall. It's fine. But as a family, you need to be there. Why? Because this is what matters. This church here in Veritas for you guys is what matters. It matters to me too. Why? Because you guys have a piece of my heart as well. I want to know that Eric is having his walk with the Lord. I don't know why he keeps asking me back, but it's okay. I'll keep coming as long as he asks me. But you guys need to love and cherish and be there for one another. Remember, we're not to love anything else or put anything else above God. But we need to do it. It's so easy to let these things slip. And perhaps this morning we need to, as it were, pull on the handbrake and take a look at ourselves and go, you know what? My life maybe isn't orientated to having Christ as the number one. But make him number one. Refocus your life. You see, even when these men were threatened with a horrible death, I have no idea what they went through. I've burnt my hand a time or two in an oven or whatever. The man had hurt. But these men are looking at a furnace. And boy, oh, it's hot. You get anywhere close and you're dead. That's how hot it is. These men, even though they looked, as it were, death straight in the face, they did not waver one bit. They took a stand for God despite all the personal cost that it would mean to them and it was the greatest personal cost ever it was death itself but you know what they didn't care and it wasn't that they didn't care in a flippant or a haphazard manner they didn't care because their love of god was more than their love of man they feared god above all else true believers in our day as it were should square their shoulders stand up straight and take a stand for Christ in the days that we live in. If we are going to live for Jesus in this world, if we are going to be have Him be our all and our all, and everything else falls apart, and yet the world, as it were, tries to squeeze us into its mold, we are going to suffer persecution. That's what the Bible clearly teaches us. We square our shoulders. We take a stand for God. We're going to face persecution. If we are going to live godly and if we're going to live for Jesus Christ, and we as Christians are going to be persecuted, there will be furnaces of criticism. There will be furnaces of intimidation. There will be furnaces of hatred. Furnaces of temptation. Furnaces of trials like you and I cannot even imagine. These furnaces will become more numerous and far hotter as society continues to flee from God and from the guidelines that He has laid down in His Word. It's just the way it is. The furnaces of life, especially that furnace of persecution. They're no fun. In spite of how difficult they are, these furnaces are actually good for us. These trials and these furnaces are good. They help us to become more like Christ. They help us to burn away all the dross and all the bad from our lives that we can look to Christ as our be-all and end-all. You need to understand that when the Lord sends you through a furnace and a trial, He's eating you in your spiritual walk. He will place you in hotter furnaces down the road. Why do I say that? Well, if we're being totally honest, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets a lot better. You older people here, sometimes I pick on the people that have no hair. I'm not going to do that today. But you older people here, and you can testify with us young and instruct us young, please do open your mouths and tell us that the closer you get to the end, the steeper that hill seems to be coming. The trials and the difficulties seem to be getting harder and harder and harder. That's why we need the perseverance of the saints. That's why the old and the young in a church must come together. Why? The Bible tells us that the, the old will teach the young and encourage them. They'll tell them that it gets harder. It's getting hard. Think of what the Lord told Jeremiah. When Jeremiah came to God and he was sort of whining because the people didn't receive him and they didn't want to hear what he had to say, he says this, if you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted, they weary you, then how will you do in the flood of the Jordan? God's basically telling them, look, Jeremiah, if you think things are bad now, stick with me and I'll show you that they're about to get a whole lot worse. And you're all sitting there going, Wow. I thought the Irish people encouraged you. What the Irish people is, they tell you the truth. God's Word tells us the truth. That as our world flees from Christ and from God, it gets worse. They're killing full-term babies on the east coast of this land. What does that tell you? Is it getting better? It's getting worse. You see, what we have to understand and it's that this world, they cannot grasp people like us. You go to your workplace tomorrow and you say, wow, what did you do on Sunday Well, I went to church? Wow, what a fuddy-duddy you are. What a sad life you live. They don't get us. They don't understand it. Why? They don't care. They're so blinded to what they already are. But their natural reaction to their confusion and perhaps their misunderstanding is to persecute the believer. They do this because they want us to abandon what we have in the Lord. They want us to go back to what they have. Take comfort, you young person. And you might say, well, Merv, it's all well and good sitting here on a Sunday. I'm with my friends. I'm in a nice cozy building. But you don't know what I face outside in that world. You know what? We all do because we all live in a sinful world, but do we encourage our young people? Not that long ago, I was young. Wow, you weren't supposed to laugh. And older people came and encouraged me. And I've told you this before. Get to their level. You young people, please do not look at older people as old fuddy-duddies. Yes, they might have quirks and they might act weird. Believe me, I know. But we need to encourage each other. It's not always to be the old to the young. The young should be encouraging the old as well. To do what? To persevere to the very end. Look, the Bible is not a storybook. It's not some pile of old fables or tales or something to tickle our ears. The book that we've read this morning is the living, breathing Word of God. And it's for our instruction. It's for our good. If you're a child of God, if you're a child of the Father, let me instruct you this morning, persecution is coming. But I ask you the question, are you ready? Whoa. Just move that thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced persecution. They faced trials, and yet they kept their testimony. I pray that I'll do the same when my time comes, and it's coming. I don't know if any of you homeschool here, but we do. Things are changing, it's getting harder to do things as believers. It's getting harder to go to the workplace and stand up for the king. It's getting harder to go out on the street, even as I saw on Facebook yesterday, where I come from, the British Isles, where the Reformation was a huge part. A man got arrested for preaching that Christ died on a cross. What is this world coming to? But it's coming. But are we ready? I might feel. Who knows? Let us shout out like Latimer did as, as those flames licked the bottom of his feet. Play the man. Play the man. Look to Christ. He tells us in his word that my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. There's not one of us here who can't testify that we're not in a trial. We're not in a difficulty. Even just simply dealing with our sins on a day-to-day basis is a trial. But are we battling those trials with Christ? Or are we trying to do it on our own? See, these men were persecuted. But then they were also protected. So as persecution is so, as it were, despondent. And some of you are sitting there with big sad faces this is where your friend can get turned right upside down. They were protected. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were indeed cast into that fire. It happened. They were thrown in. There was flames. There was heat. But an amazing thing happened. Instead of dying in those flames, instead of dying in that heat, they were loosed from their bonds. What in the world? They were loosed from their bonds, and they were walking around in the flame. Now, it got real cold in Placerville a couple of weeks ago. We don't have a fire in our house, but man, I wish we did have, because it got real cold, real fast. You ever seen a fire? Yep, you have. If you haven't, you have. okay? Man, you are all asleep. You've all seen a fire. Who would stick their hand in it? I wouldn't. I wouldn't be anywhere near it. I'd have my toes tickling in front of it, getting nice and warm. But I most certainly would not put my hand in it. Why? Well, it's what Nebuchadnezzar couldn't understand. He couldn't believe with his eyes. And he commands these men to come out. And he finds that they're totally unharmed. If I stick my hand in a fire, first of all, I'd be an idiot. And second of all, I'd be straight to the ER arm. I'd have burns and blisters everywhere. But these men come out the way they were done, unharmed. Not a very hair on their head was singed. They were protected by a very present God. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the flames they discovered that they were not alone. The God that they had testified beforehand, the God who they would not bow their knee to go against in any way, the God who they stuck up for in the dining hall, the God who they prayed to when the chips were down and they were going to get torn limb from limb if they didn't know that dream, turns up in the scene and he helps them. Nebuchadnezzar and the others were astonished. They threw three men into the flames, and now they see four. They're not lying there, as it were, singeing and bubbling up. They're walking about. What a sight that must have been. Who was the fourth man? Eric's looking at me going, what's he going to (laughs) say? Do you know what I'm going to say? It wasn't me. Some people say it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people say it was an angel sent from God. Who do I say it was? Not tell them. But even in that furnace in Babylon, actually I think it was Christ, but even in the furnace in Babylon, okay, God kept His promise. The God who in Genesis 3.15 said He would send a Redeemer, The God who came to Abraham and said that all the people in all the worlds would be like the sand and the stars is the God who in Isaiah 43 says this, But now thus saith the Lord, or thus saith Yahweh that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And when through the rivers... They shall not overflow thee. When they walk us through the fire, they shall not be burnt. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. This is your God. This is your God. The God who you've just stood there and sung five songs to. The God who you've bowed your head and you've prayed with the man at the front and you've come to worship this morning. He is the God of Isaiah. But he's also the God of Matthew 28 when he says this I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God is with you. God is your help. When the flames rise around you and the trials come and the persecution comes and the difficulties come, where are you going to go? Notice what happened when the Lord met them in the furnace they were free. They went inbound and tied up, but now they're free. The fire did nothing more than burn away the things that tied up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The fire and that furnace was used to free them from those ropes, that they indeed could walk as free men. You see, when the fires of persecution or the fires of affliction or the fires of trials, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. You need to remember this truth. The Lord is merely freeing you from something or someone or whatever that you're bound to in your life. For me, it's sports. What other mad Irishman would get up at 4 a.m. in the morning to watch 30 men batter and bruise each other in a rugby field. That's an idol in my life. A white round ball and 30 men. How sad. But it is. Our children can be an idol to us. Whatever it is, when the trial comes, And the persecution comes, what are we going to do? As those flames burn away, those ropes of besetting sins, some of you might have sins in your life that no one else knows about apart from God. Perhaps some of you have got bad attitudes, some of you have got bad habits. See, perhaps you'll find yourself freer in the fire than you are outside of it. Often persecution can seem like the worst possible thing that can ever happen in our lives. But it can actually prove to be one of the best things that ever happens to our lives. Why do I say that? We all like to use Romans 8, 28 as a thumbs up verse. When everything's good and rosy, when everything's plain sailing, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Well, what happens when persecution comes? Do you rip that passage out of your Bible? All things. Good, bad, not so good, not so bad. All things work together for good. You see, God allowed them to go through the fire. He allowed them to be thrown in there, but he did not allow that fire, as it were, to go through them. He protected them. He kept them safe. You see, those men were not sent there to be destroyed. Those men were sent there to be built up and to show the rest of the world how powerful a God they truly served. See, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into that fire, only three men went in. When Nebuchadnezzar looked in the fire, there was a fourth man. But when Nebuchadnezzar called for all the men to come out of the fire, verse 26 clearly tells us that only three came out, leaving one. What happened to that fourth man? He's still in the furnace. When you find yourself in that furnace, you're not there alone. Christ is there ready and waiting to help you through it. The three Hebrew boys were preserved by the presence of God. And you will be too. But do you actually believe it? See, when those boys came out of the furnace, they were indeed inspected by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar and all those officials came along and were told that not a hair was scorched on their head. You ladies know that if you turn that curling iron up too hot, wow, what damage it can do. You might have to get a short crew cut afterwards. But we're told that these men were thrown in there, into the fire, and not a very hair on their head was damaged. There was no soot or smell in them. Their clothes were not tarnished. Sometimes as I read the Bible, I like to like close my eyes and imagine what they did, and they probably, they probably sniffed them when they came out. But there was no trace of the fire anywhere on them. What a miracle. Being the only chimney sweep in this building, I think I can say that clearly. Maybe I'm not. No one's getting up to go against me, but... Back in the UK, I did build buses, but on the side, I actually cleaned chimneys. And if you know Ireland, it's wet, it's cold, it's miserable. Fires are lit, especially in my mother's house, 365 days of the year. Doesn't matter if it's 80 outside, the fire's still lit. Craziness, but no matter. I can clearly know what that smell of soot is like, and I can even smell it this morning. And you do too. You ever drive along and there's a fire, and you can smell that first reek of the wood or whatever? We have turf in Ireland, which is if you ever go, you gotta burn it. It's so good, but no matter. But by the power of God, by the power of His presence in that fire and in that furnace, they didn't smell, they weren't singed, they didn't have boils, and they didn't have to go to ER. Nothing. These men were totally unharmed. You see, when God does something, He does it all away. When He heals, He heals completely. When He saves someone, He saves them completely. When He forgives them for their sins, He forgives completely. Whatever our Lord does, He does it all away. He's not like us. We go to a certain point and then we stop or we get a different direction or we go somewhere else. When God does something, He goes to there and above. When you find yourself looking at a fiery furnace or a trial, remember that you indeed serve the all-powerful God, the God who is able to keep you in that trial, the God who is able to bring you out of that trial. If it's in His will, He may not. My mother has been sick for 36 years. She's a believer. She's got a bad back. But she's probably one of the greatest prayer warriors I know. The Lord gave her a trial to take her out of her work-dependent life, to lay her on a sick bed that she could pray to Him for everyone else. God might have given you a trial that you might never get out of, but God is still with you in the trial. He's still there. He's the one who will take you to the very end. Listen. We'll fail ye. Let's be honest. There are times when we're sick. There are times when we're depressed. And all we want is a hug from someone. And do they show up? No. And we get even more despondent and more discouraged. But God is always there. Ready and willing. When you stand for Him. When you stand in the presence of God. You can be assured that He will never let you down. He will help you in the day of persecution. He will help you to stand firm for your testimony and your belief in Him. What for? Not for your glory, but for His. It's all of Him. He can strengthen us and He can help us. Notice the Lord's promise to His people. That when they shall lead you and deliver you up, Take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do you preeminate. But what whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that you speak. For it is not you that speaks, but the Holy Ghost. Brothers and sisters, we have God with us every single day. No matter where we are, no matter even who we're with, God is with us. God is our refuge and our strength. William Hunter. Who in the world is William Hunter, you might ask? Well, if you ever read the book, The Fox's Book of Martyrs, which I can highly recommend if you haven't, do. If you don't shed a tear, there's something seriously wrong with you. It's One of the saddest books to read, but you know what? It's one of the most encouraging books. Why? Because it shows men and women, simple men and women, who would not bow their knee to an idol. William Hunter had been trained to the doctrines of reformation from his earliest youth. He was a young man, and he had come from religious parents. And those parents had instructed him in the way of the Lord and in true religion. But, as is common in England, Hunter refused to take communion at Mass. And he was threatened to be brought before the bishop. And it wasn't just a threat, that happened. Bishop Bonner caused William to be brought into a chamber where he began to reason with him. Like the world does with us. It reasons and says, Ach, you don't need to go to church on a Sunday. You don't need to go. What's the point? All you do is sing out songs and listen to some boy at the front. You don't need that. But the bishop reasoned with William and told him that if he recanted, that he'd be let loose, that he'd be free. William said, no, I will not. William wouldn't bend the knee like the rest of the world had done. Upon the Bishop Bonner's command, the men put William in the stocks at his gatehouse, where he sat for two days and two nights, with a crusty old loaf of bread and a cup of water, which he refused to touch. At the end of the two days, the bishop came to him, and finding him steadfast in the faith, they sent him to the convict prison. That was it. And he was command- they commanded the keeper of that prison to lay so many irons upon him that it's as if he couldn't breathe. They wanted him weighed down with shackles and chains, just to say, I recant. He continued in prison with those chains upon him for three quarters of a year. Nine long months. Which time the bishop had come to him numerous times. In February 9th, he was condemned to die. at which time his brother, Robert, was present. One last time, the bishop looked William in the eye and said, Recant. He said, No. The bishop then pronounced sentence upon him that he should go to the stake in Brentwood to be burnt. A few days later, William was sent to Brentwood where indeed he was to be executed. William, walking to the stake, finally knelt down. He knelt down and he read the 51st Psalm. Until he came to these words, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. O God, Thou wilt not despise. William was steadfast. He was resolute. He refused the Queen of England's pardon, which was the highest pardon you could get in the land. If he would turn around and say, I recant, he had come with chains strapped about him that he could hardly walk. The executioner came along, and all those wood was all around that stake, and he started to light that stake. And William's furnace was right there, and it was getting seven times hotter. Recant and live, or go to that stake and die for Christ. William took a Psalter, the book that he treasured above all else, and he handed it to his brother, and he said, I am not afraid. I am not afraid of death. Why? Because Christ is on the other side. And that man went, was tied to that stake, and was burnt alive for Christ. And he cried out at the very end I am not afraid. This morning, are we afraid? Are we afraid of what's coming? Are we afraid of the persecution that might come upon us? If we are, we need to dust ourselves off. We need to remember what Christ has done for us. We need to steady ourselves before the persecution comes and then cry to God that we can cry out, I am not afraid. God will enable us. As he enabled William, and as he enabled, if you read that book, there are many accounts of men and women who were killed and murdered for their faith in God. But each and every one of them, as they went either to the stake, or as some of them were thrown in barrels and thrown into a river, some of them were stuck in a, in a dredge of sand and salt, and when the water came in it drowned them, Are we going to shout praises to our God or are we going to recant? You see, God will enable us. God will keep us to the very end. But we today need to remain faithful to Him. See, God will enable us to keep a tight grip on our testimonies. Not for our glory, but for His. This today in this room has nothing to do with us. It's all for his glory it's all for the glory of god but do we not benefit from it do we not feel the effects of reading the word and praying together and we need to remain faithful in our churches we need to remain faithful in our homes we need to remain faithful wherever the lord has placed us that we too can shout i am not afraid though death come upon me who cares Christ is on the other side. You see, these men were persecuted. They were protected. And then thirdly, and briefly, they were promoted. You see, everyone involved in this event came away with a greater understanding of one thing, who God was. Going in, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego didn't know what God was going to do. The faith that these guys had is is unbelievable. Verse 18 says, So they say, If this be so, our God whom we serve will be able to deliver us. And then verse 18 says, But if not, if not, if God doesn't save us and we're in that fire and we get killed, what does it matter? We're still doing it for His glory. You see, Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was the most powerful man in the world but he's not. In the end, everyone there learned that God was indeed the greatest, that he indeed was the King of kings and Lord of lords, that he was even greater than that furnace. You see, God's person was praised. Verse 29, a pagan king exalts the name of the true God because of what he saw God do for his people. You see, Nebuchadnezzar slowly begins to see things differently. One of the reasons the Lord perhaps allowed this event in the lives of these three men was so that he could melt the heart of a lost, heathen king. You see, God was after Nebuchadnezzar. And God was going to have him. God spoke to him in chapter 2 in the dream. He speaks to him in chapter 3 by these men not burning up in the fire. And then in verse 4, the Lord shouts with a mighty roar at him. God did what he had to do to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention. Nebuchadnezzar surrendered his pride and his place, and he put his faith in the Lord, and he was saved. See, the Lord can save anyone. The Lord can save anyone at any time and at any place. If he can save a pagan king in ancient Babylon, this morning he can save you sitting in Veritas in Roseville. Believer, you never know how God will use the afflictions in your life. As we pass through the furnaces of life, And as we lean on the grace of God to trust in Him and to sustain us, it may be that God is using those moments not primarily in your life, but to show a lost world that He is God, that He is the one who can preserve and keep. That's why it's important as believers in Christ that we live our lives every day, not just on a Sunday, not just for a few hours in the morning, But throughout the whole week, we don't know who's watching. We don't know who's looking at us and seeing how we live our lives. Our lives could indeed be the greatest witness to our kids. Are we living our lives before them, truthfully? This afternoon, you're not going to like me. This afternoon, go home and at the dinner table... Look your kids straight in the eyeball. Okay, young people, Big Murph said, you can do this. I might never be back in this church after I say this. But look your parents in the eyeball and have your parents ask the question, is mommy and daddy the same in this room as they are at home? Deathly silence. We just can't be Christians in this room. We need to be Christians out there. Our neighbors are watching us. As creepy as that might be. Some creepy neighbors around Placerville. Don't worry. Our neighbors, our friends, our unbelieving relatives are watching our lives. Man, do they not love it when we slip up? Oh, yes. Big time. We slip and we fall and you know, perhaps we say or do something we shouldn't, and man, they're so quick to go, "Huh, you're some Christian." Oh, it irritates me, but but no matter. We need to be faithful to one another. Our kids, as hard as it is, can be our biggest critics. They love us no matter what we do. Let's be honest. But they see our flaws better than we do. We see theirs too, but. That's a different, for a different message. Go home and ask them, hey, am I the same at Veritas between 10 o'clock and whatever time Merv decides to be quiet at on a Sunday morning, as I am through the rest of the week? Think of a Tuesday night. I hate Tuesdays. It's neither the middle of the week, the start of the, there's no point, okay? I just wish Monday and Tuesday would conjoin. But think of a Tuesday night after a hard day's work, some of you men and some of you women. And it's been tough. Are you the same mummy and daddy on a hard, difficult Tuesday night as you are on a wonderful Sunday morning when you can put on your fake smile and put on your clothes and go to church? We need to be the same 24 7. I need to be the same 24 7. Don't worry. When I wrote this, yeah, I don't even want to tell you what my kids told me. That's why I'm going red, because they seem to have a lot. I thought I was pretty good, but obviously not. Remember one thing. Sinner and saint. God's eyes upon you. You might bluff us all here. You might pull the wool over our eyes for a couple hours on a Sunday morning. But you won't do it to God. God sees to your very heart. You see, God's people were also promoted because they were faithful to the Lord. They were promoted again in the kingdom. They were promoted in chapter 2. Boom, did nothing for them. They're promoted again. At the end of this chapter, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as it were, drift into oblivion. But there are three of the people that I want to meet when I get to heaven. Why? I want to ask them. Where on earth your faith was unreal? Unbelievable. You see, you can't stand on Mount Carmel in par until you lie beside that dry brook in humility, Elijah. You cannot lead the nation of Israel unless you first watch someone else's sheep in a wilderness, Moses. See, the truth is seen in that life of Gideon. Gideon was a general with an army of 32,000. 22,000 left because they were afraid. They buckled. Their knees started clamoring and they left. Gideon's left with not a lot. Over 9,000 then, as it were, shoot the crow and leave him. They were rejected by the Lord. Now Gideon's left with 300 people. (sighs) Not a lot. And then he hears that he's compared to a cake of barley bread, which is the equivalent of being called a dog biscuit. (laughs) But God took Gideon, the dog biscuit, and he used him to win a great victory. You see, when God sends you through a furnace, it's not to hurt you, but it's to grow you. It's to build you up. It's to make you more like Christ and not like the world. You see, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did keep a firm grip on their testimonies. They didn't compromise. They didn't give in to the world. They didn't yield to fear. They didn't give in to the honor of a pagan king. They didn't feel or falter or even stumble. When they looked death in the face, they saw Christ's face there. That's how it works. Him who honors me, I will honor when we get to heaven, we only want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's why it's worth living for the Lord today. Even when we face temptations, even when we're doing our taxes and we can fudge it to get more money, don't do it. Don't give in to temptations and give in to the world and its demands. Stand firm for the Lord. Him that honoreth me, I will honor. You see, it's so worth it here, but let me tell you, it's going to be, you can't even imagine how much more it's going to be when we get to heaven and we get to home. I've said it before, but only one life that will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will indeed last. This morning, brothers and sisters, do you need to go to the Lord and seek forgiveness? Do you need to hone your life to what He has for you to do? Not what you need to do. Do you need help to stand in that fiery furnace of temptation? Some of us men have difficulties with things in life. Do we need to ask God to help us when we face temptation? You women as well struggle with things that us men don't. Do you need to come to the Lord and ask to help in those trials and those tribulations and in those difficult times of temptations? Maybe you need to ask the Lord to forgive you for the times when you've actually bent the knee, when you've given in. Maybe you need to ask for strength to take a bolder, more open stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to ask the Lord to help and forgive you for your sins, for failing Him. Remember, the things of this world will not last forever. They will be consumed by a fire. We shouldn't be making our treasure here where moth and rust can destroy. We should be making our treasure in heaven. This passage should remind us as we think of the fire and we think of the torment and we think of the heat, it should remind us that this world will be consumed. This world will be gone. But we have great confidence if we are found in Christ. Absent in the body, present with the Lord, is going to be way better. But for some of you here this morning, you don't have confidence. You're sitting there going, what am I going to do when troubles come upon my life? Who am I going to turn to? You see, there's only one person who can help you. It's not your mommy. not your daddy. It's not your best friend. It's not your Facebook account. It's not anything else. It's not even your bank account. You see, one day this world will be cast into that lake of fire. I don't know, but some of you this morning might be cast in there with it. I honestly don't know. And I don't say these things, as it were, to scare you. I say it because I love you. See, the word in the gospel is the most important thing that you will ultimately ever understand. When you can be like Pilgrim and look at the cross and have your burden released from you, there is no greater thing in all of the world. Why? Because you are now in fellowship with the one true and the living God through repentance of your sins. But if you don't confess... If you don't ask Christ to forgive your sins, then you will be cast into that lake of fire. Today, some of you might need to come to saving faith in God to be able to go through trials, to be able to go through tribulations. Remember when we ask for help and people sometimes don't turn up, they don't come. If you come and confess to God, He'll be there. He will be there to forgive you for your sins. He will be there with open arms, ready and willing to receive you. But will you come? Or will you be stubborn one more time? You might never get to sit in these lovely gray chairs. You might never get to see these lovely faces anymore because you know why God could take you from the scene of this earth today. You may not even get your lunch. You've only one life. That will soon be passed. And if you haven't turned to Christ, then you will not last in eternity. Don't delay. This morning, if you hear His voice, come to Him. Cry to Him. Have your sins forgiven, that you too, when we sing that awesome hymn, when troubles assail us and dangers affright, though friends should all fail us and foes all unite, yet one thing secures us, whatever betide. The promise assures us the Lord will provide. What will He provide? If you're His, He'll provide you heaven and eternity. But you need to have faith in Him, you need to repent. The Lord will provide, maybe not in this life for those of us who are His, but man, He's going to provide when we get to heaven. But we need to get there.